Judging Book Covers podcast, a bi-weekly book club podcast where I bring on two guests to read a book suggested by one of the guests. This week I'm joined again by Ryan Lynch and Tracy Tanoff, and we read the graphic novel Local, which was written by Brian Wood and illustrated by Ryan Kelly. See, this time I added the illustrator. Aren't you happy? <laughs> yes, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> So obviously, I can't mention you didn't mention any letters. Look, Brian O'Malley, <laughs> Brian Lee O'Malley, and Hope, Hope Larson. I was gonna say I know it's Hope something, and they live in Canada. Is she the same Hope Larson that works for DC now? I think she is. Yeah, would not be surprised. She yeah. does. She does Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. I love it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. So, Ryan, why this comic? Out of all the comics, I have no idea. <laughs> So basically, what I because I wanted to pick a graphic novel because I'm always on brand, <laughs> and I had to I debated between a couple ones, and I didn't want to pick like my favorite favorite books to put pressure on you guys to like it. <laughs> so I didn't pick like the obligatory like blankets or Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest kids on earth. Like if you know me, these are like the books that like made me love comics. So. I looked at, like, some more standalone graphic novels that I really, really like, and I tried to pick one that's longer so we could talk about it a little bit more, because, like, I had considered, like, Brian K. Vaughn's uh, Pride of Baghdad, which is, like, this really great story, and I know you like BKV, yeah, Megan, and but it's, like, super short, so, you know, I didn't want to pick a book that was, like, 60 pages, and with comics, there's this, like, a lot of books are either like 60 pages or like 10 volumes. So <laughs> I tried to, So I tried to pick one that was kind of like in the middle and just looking at my bookshelf, Local is a very pretty hardcover book <laughs> and it's 12 issues, which is kind of a, a good amount yeah. to dissect and it's not I know you don't like superhero books, so it's not a superhero book and it's one of those like slice of life kind of books that I really really love. And I think that there's enough in there to talk about. There's definitely plenty here to talk about. <laughs> um, Tracy, what'd you think? I, I I liked it a lot. I don't think it was like my favorite thing I ever read, but it started winning me over more towards the end. I, I think it was partly because I didn't love the protagonist. Not that I think you're necessarily supposed to. So like when it started focusing on other people was when it started like winning me over a bit more. But yeah, I, I definitely liked it. It was interesting. I like Slice of Life, so it was definitely something that was, you know, interesting for me. Yeah, it took me a few issues to realize what they were trying to accomplish. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't tend to read summaries or anything before I try to go in as blind as possible. Um, which is a little hard on this one. Uh, it's definitely not what I would have picked up, but I absolutely loved it. I was crying by the happy. end. I shook my fist a little bit because I hate actually no I, I cry at everything I can't pretend like I, I, I hate that <laughs> <laughs> even reading the essays and seeing how emotional these two guys got over this I was tearing up so um, I don't really know other than this so it's each it's 12 issues each issue is supposed to represent a slice of one year of our main character which is Megan McKean Mm-hmm. Um, from ages it's either 17 or 18 to 30 um, and that I think is about like she, and she travels she she's, doesn't really settle down um, at all so that's kind of the summary you need to know going into this 
Yeah, and it's basically each issue takes place in a different city that she's living in. Right. Um, which was really cool, like, looking at the essays. So they had comic book store owners send them pictures of places so that they could reference and draw and things like that. And then <clears throat> I think Brian Wood's hometown makes an appearance. Uh, Ryan Kelly's current, or well, wherever it was in 2006 location makes an appearance. And Brian Woods, I think he's still in Brooklyn, but um, like it gets very specific about where in Brooklyn this is supposed to be. Yeah. To where I'm like, I'm going to go take pictures. Not this weekend, <laughs> though. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I didn't know each one was supposed to be a different year, so that makes sense. I got by the end she was supposed to be older, but now that I know that, I think that makes me understand what they were doing a little bit more. Because by the end, I was like, oh, okay, like, I get it. Now she's, like, older and more mature, but I didn't realize that was right. happening, like, the whole book. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely... It's not, like, a hard timeline or anything. No. Like, yeah. But it's... it's Yeah, it's supposed to be her gradually growing up. Yeah. And if anyone's curious, it came out... It was kind of, like, a long... I don't think it was delayed. I think it just had a slow release schedule. So it came out between 2005 and 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be a year. And then, um, from what I understand, both of them ended up having kids. And kids are really fun when you're trying to create things, from what I've been told. So. <laughs> <laughs> and in the world of indie comics, this always happens where, like, this is published by Oni Press, who does, like, Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. And they there's always like the indie passion projects and then like marvel hires you to write the x-men and they pay you a lot more money so you right. like kind of forget about not forget but like you it gets hiatus you prioritize this happens all yeah. the time yeah <clears throat> and from what i understand ryan wood kind of came up with an idea and it's not what ended up happening the idea was to actually do an issue based on the location and megan was kind of the character of the first one and it ended up being about her um a few issues in mm -hmm. but it was not the original intent wasn't to do this like slice of life of a woman getting older it was to show off different locations so yeah and i think you see that especially in like the the third issue is the one about like the band and i remember like reading and i was like oh so is she supposed to be like the reporter interviewing them and then you reach down it's like oh no like she just yeah. sort of like comes up briefly and i was like that was interesting so <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's actually a style that i like a lot that a lot of comic books do sometimes like sandman does that a lot neil gaiman sandman where there's like these, I mean, there's also, like, I know you guys are both big Whovians. There's also, like, Doctor Who episodes like that. Like, Blink is that. <laughs> yeah. Are like, you just trying to get us to talk about Doctor Who for the rest of the episode? No, no, but I, I mean, like... we can do that. <laughs> I always try to draw, like, parallels to things people would know. Like, or, okay, fine, maybe a more popular episode, Love and Monsters, is like that, too. <laughs> oh, where... <laughs> hey, I, I, like, it's... I half defended that episode. We don't need to go into that again. <laughs> yeah. You did, so... and I felt so bad after that. No, 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 no. Seriously, blowjob dispenser. I can't defend that episode too much. Like, yeah. yeah that, no. is a, that is a rabbit hole that I yeah. do not want to go down. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's basically like Megan is the protagonist, but in a lot of these stories, she's 
like kind of an observer of it and she's more like our placeholder like our audience surrogate mm-hmm. almost sometimes mm-hmm. but then by the end it very much becomes her story yeah no like it was it, that's something i really enjoy like i do enjoy like those types of episodes of doctor who a lot like i just was sort of like oh like we spent two issues with this girl and it's like oh or there's these random band people i can care about <laughs> i guess so like i was just kind of surprised i was like wait where is she so yeah yeah it was definitely by the halfway point, I was all in. Yeah, it yeah. was a bit weird at first. Um, I actually originally bought this book a few years ago just because I was like the cover. I saw the cover on Amazon and I was like, "This looks really sad." And the main character's wearing Converse that they wrote all over. So I guess <laughs> it me. And then I bought it. I was like, "It is me." <laughs> oh no! So you didn't read this in in by issue. Like you got this later. Yeah, I got I got this. Well, I actually didn't, like, start reading comic books until, like, college. So, like, I would have been, like, this series would have been long over, not long over, but, like, over for at least a couple years before I even started reading comics. So, like, yeah, I just, I don't even remember why I bought this. I think I was just, because I was reading a lot of the, a lot of Jeffrey Brown, who does a lot of books like this, where it's, like, very, like, his are more doodly almost where they're much more like raw like this is just what i'm thinking kind of and i was just looking for more things like that and my co-host on a couple of my podcasts daryl was recommending a lot of books like that and i kind of had run out of his list where i'd read all of those like here's protagonist being sad all the time so i i don't remember where i heard about it or was recommended it because this is definitely my first brian wood book and my first ryan kelly book so i wasn't like i really don't know how i found it it was fate. It was fate, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we should start going issue by issue. Um, the first one, I'm trying to... I've got a glare. Uh, the first one is in Portland, Oregon. And <clears throat> it's called 10,000 Thoughts Per Second. Mm-hmm. And again, had no idea what this book was about. Totally thought you had given me a superhero book. <laughs> I thought she was turning back time. You know, I heard this from a friend too, and like I never got that vibe at all. But yeah, so the first is she's basically like she has this kind of like he seems like uh not a nice guy as a boyfriend, <laughs> and they're outside a doctor's office that he has like some stolen prescriptions and he's trying to get her to go in and get him painkillers with prescriptions he wrote out. And it's kind of her running through the scenario a couple times. And I took it as her running through the scenario a couple times, but <laughs> multiple people have told me they thought she was going back in time. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I didn't think that at all. I got, I understood. It took me a minute to follow what was going on, but I, I got what was going on. Yeah. I, it's the only one that I went back and read after reading the next issue where I was like, okay, so she's not a superhero. I need to <laughs> go back and take a look at this. And I, I really loved it. I mean, it's, this is entirely inked it's not in color um which was really great because the back had all of the covers um so like seeing what they thought they looked like versus how i was seeing everybody was kind of cool definitely but yeah she's dating a druggie who's it at one point it sounds like they've been peddling these uh prescription um prescriptions up and down like that this isn't their first stop um 
Yeah, so the way the, like, her different, like, time travel scenarios are, like, first they're like, this is obviously fake, we're gonna arrest you. And then the next one is, like, oh, you, you know, we've gotten reports from other pharmacies that you guys have been doing this all over, so, like, we're gonna arrest everybody. And then there's one where she, like, tries to be more, like, please help me, like, I can't get away from this guy. And then they, like, everyone, like, he goes to jail and she get basically gets, like, taken in any way as, like you know, like either an accessory or like to like a battered women's shelter or something like it's not right. super clear. Cause she jumps back right away. And then it's the last one is basically her telling him to fuck off. And it's like, I don't even care if you keep my car. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And so, yeah, I like, I guess I, I kind of, I guess I never made that connection somehow. I don't know that like they were doing this all over, <laughs> but now that you say it, it's super obvious. <laughs> well, because it, it only really comes up in one, like I wasn't sure if they were because it comes up in one of like her speculations where it's like the pharmacist saying like, Oh, you've been doing this all over. So like, I didn't think of that necessarily like it, it probably is the truth, but I didn't think of that necessarily as the truth because it seemed more to be like her thinking about like what could happen. And like, it would probably be like her shitty luck to be like, Oh, like we think you're the, these people that have been doing this like all over so i didn't know if i thought it was necessarily the truth so much as her thinking like this is the absolute worst case scenario that they could think mm. so i can see that yeah yeah that definitely makes sense do we even get her name in the first one uh, I, don't, I don't know i don't remember we definitely don't get the boyfriend's name we get her name. we get her last name we get miss okay miss mckean yeah. yeah um and yeah she I guess looks 17, but it's supposed to be 1994 from what I understand. Um, yeah, she definitely is young. Yes. Like, I don't really know how old she is in any of these, but like, I could see her being like a high school age. Yeah, I started realizing this book was at least a little bit old later on when they mentioned an internet cafe. I was like, oh, that's so precious. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What a specific time that had to yeah. be. <laughs> Like, oh, if you need to check your email, you can go to the internet cafe in the corner. I was oh, like, God, oh, yes. how quaint. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so then we go to book two, which is in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, which is where Ryan Kelly lives or lived in 2005. Um, <laughs> I didn't exactly look to see if he's still there. <laughs> um, I think it would be weird if you were like, I need to know every year where you live. <laughs> That's when Look. you get the, that's when you get like a restraining order in the mail and it's like please stop looking up where I live. <laughs> so this one oh this one's called Polaroid Boyfriend. Oh god, this one. <laughs> this was the no. point, this was the chapter where I was like you were going to get raped and murdered like this is <laughs> I try to think what like 18-year-old me, Megan, would think oh, of this Oh, I would chapter. totally eat this up. <laughs> you what? I would totally do this, like, if I was her and I was 18. It's okay, here's the thing. Every single one of these issues relates to me in a very, very specific <laughs> way. No. And, like, <laughs> the first one, I, maybe I'll make this a recurring thing. At the end of every issue, I'll tell you why this is, this is so me. We, we can talk so about it, that. In the first one, it's just, like, every time I do anything, my brain is like, here's all the things that could go wrong. And, like, that's just, you know, anxiety, whatever. And in this one, like, so the premise is she has this apartment that 
either she like didn't change the locks right away or for whatever reason she's now in this situation with this guy that when she's at work the guy knows where her spare key is and he comes in and he takes a picture of himself and leaves it somewhere with a note and then she does the same and like return like returns the message and it is very creepy but there is something about it that like oh i've 18 year old me would have been all over this yeah like there's something like romantic about it if you take it out of the world where this is horrifying, that you're in a city and this is happening. And when she's at work, one of her friends, like one of her coworkers is like, you know, you're going to get raped and murdered. Right. And I'm she's like, I didn't even... <laughs> yeah, and she's like, I didn't really, she's like, no, but he's like kind of cute. And she's like, are you kidding me? So she like abandons this premise and doesn't leave the keys. And then the guy like sends another picture. Like he slides it on the door and he's like, what is no, no picture. And then he like, knocks on the window and climbs in and she's like oh hi i'm megan and it's like cute but the thing that i like really love about this is i am an idiot and do dumb bad things all the time (laughs) and there are a lot of things that i don't realize are so terrible and then one of my friends is like this is a very bad thing (laughs) that you're doing and then i'm like oh my god this is a very bad thing i'm doing like never like as weird as like letting random people come into my house but like I understand this, like, you're in this early, flirty phase of a relationship, and you, like, are focused on, like, the cute, flirty part, and then all of a sudden, like, you realize, oh my god, what am I doing? No, like, I had, like, no vibes at all that it was cute. Like, I was definitely that friend the whole time, especially when, like, there was, like, the no note today. I'm thinking of, like, Jessica Jones when he, like, Kilgrave keeps, like, making her, like, send selfies and stuff. I'm like, get out now! Like, this is bad! Like, I was, like, so freaked out. Well, I had a moment of, like, did this turn into a horror book? Because (laughs) there's a scene where she, I guess it's a nightmare, and thinks that he's coming to her apartment while she's there and takes all these Polaroids of himself, and they're all over the living room floor, and that was the point I was like, this is not really cute anymore. I I was a... But that was a dream. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But I didn't know that at first, and I used to watch a lot of, um, I used to watch teen drama. My favorite show was One Tree Hill for a long time, and they... used to? Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) I'm 27, thank you. But... Um, I'm almost 30, and I still watch Riverdale. Come on. That's true. (laughs) But no, but they, they did this stalker plot on One Tree Hill, and there was, like, this really creepy, like, like, scene where you find out that the stalker has, like, this wall of pictures, like, what she thinks, like, the floor looks like in her dream with all the Polaroids, and there's, like, this really creepy monologue where it says, like, have you ever taken a picture of yourself, like, and there's a stranger in the background, like, it makes you wonder how many strangers have pictures of you, and then, like, and then as soon as that happened in the book, I was like, nope, 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 and I was like, ugh, so. I think it is important to note that it's not like he's just leaving these pictures all the time. She is returning the messages every time. Oh, no, I know. I'm just saying that. And like, and the thing that I like about this, the the horror nightmare scene, <laughs> is that like I've done this where I will like be doing something, not again, not like this, but like even something trivial, like some small thing, where I'm like, oh, like this is just like a thing I do or whatever. And then someone's like, that's really weird. And then I think back, like every time I've done this has been awful. You know, like I like your yeah, mind goes, it spirals where it's like, oh god, I've been doing this for so long. And, like, everyone must think I'm the weirdest, creepiest person. (laughs) Yeah, I've been there. I definitely related to the first two. And all I could think of, because 
I didn't realize when this was supposed to take place, but it's supposed to be in the 90s. But all I could think of is like, there is some teenager out there who has read Twilight. This parallels that so well. Because, like, Edward comes through her window constantly, and, like, it's that same level of, you know this is stupid and dangerous, and you don't care. So, I totally uh, get Counterpoint, it. Peter Pan also comes to the window, and Peter Pan's great. Um, Peter Pan is also a little bit problematic. Peter Pan is but... an actual murderer. <laughs> Listen, I know I a lot about nicer, Peter Pan. but okay. No, he's an actual murderer. There's, like, there, literally there's a line that says, then when you went out, you found the body of, like, the lost boats, and it's horrible. Yeah, oh, I Listen. wrote so many papers on Peter Pan. It's great. I love, I love Peter Pan. And I know he's a murderer. You know what? He's my problematic fave. Whatever. <laughs> we all I just, have one. Okay, I'm going on a small tangent. I recently saw a uh, Broadway adaptation of Peter Pan that was super great. Recently? It was, yeah, like two months ago, maybe? Okay. And it was a very small production. And they, like, it was only a couple actors that were playing multiple different roles. And they had a woman playing Hook. And her and Shmi had this, like, really intensely sexual relationship that was just wonderful. And they would, like... Captain Hook was really played as, like, a very, very creepy, like, man who chases little boys all the time. And he, like, made Shmi, like, dress up as Peter Pan. It was weird, but it was great. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it was a really good play. <laughs> I think I, I think it was the theater company that did um, A Sense of Sensibility that I really like. They're a really interesting theater company. So Yes. Yeah. I saw the Peter Pan play when I was very, very little. It was one of my first, I don't like, think it was the same. No, it was not the same one. <laughs> but I, 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 it was one of those, like, first ones where you actually, it's not like at a school. It was like my grandmother took me to mm. see this. Um, and then once upon a time, completely like bashed any love I had of Peter Pan by making him such a villain. So well, like we're not okay. And it made sense. <laughs> I could talk about Peter Pan for a long time. Peter I'm Pan not podcast. going to. <laughs> Is Peter Pan a fairy tale? Does that count as a fairy tale? It's a tale with a f- literal fairy <laughs> in it. Yes. I don't know. We're not sure where we're drawing our lines yet because we've been debating Alice in Wonderland. If because that's really not a fairy tale, but totally want to talk about it. So. Hey, your podcast, your rules. <laughs> oh, that's right. It is mine. <clears throat> so, yeah, he comes through the window. She takes a picture. We don't learn his name either. Do We, we don't learn very many of the right. boys' names. Yeah. And I um, think that's part of the point, because none of them are worth yeah. remembering. But no, yeah. no. If she takes away the key, why would you go through the window? Because you're a weird stalker. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Whatever. I still think it's cute because <laughs> nobody gets murdered. Okay. I was about to say nobody gets murdered, but that would be wrong. Um, so chapter three or issue three, three uh, is theories and defenses and it's in Richmond, Virginia. And this is the first time Megan is a minor character. It is about a band called Theories and Defenses. And it's an essentially an interview with the lead singer um, after the band has officially broken up, but also shows how much this like group of friends are done. Like they don't, it's not a clean break. Um, yeah. 
despite what their like PR stuff says. Right. And I, I was cracking up at the essay of this. I'm trying to find it because Ryan Kelly's like, don't join a band. Um, oh crap. Let me see if I can find it. I've been in a lot of bands. They're all kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, don't join a band. But let's say for argument's sake that it's too late and you've already joined a band. Oh, sure, you will be accepted by your peers and feel like you belong to something important. You're using your skills to be in a creative field with plenty of potential. You buy one of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it essentially goes through all the good stuff and it says, when you finally get to the cover of Maximum Rock and Roll, well, a week later, you leave a chicken soft taco wrapper on somebody's distortion pedal and years of suppressed anger and resentment erupt <laughs> in a monsoon of fury and unconquerable bitterness. A fight ensues. Words are exchanged. Bands break up. And when the ash and dust settles, you go on with your life, bandless and a mere civilian. And that's how rock and roll is. Yeah, that's pretty. That sounds about right. <laughs> But the thing that's the thing that I love about this issue, so it's it goes through kind of the four different members of the band, and the main framing device is this interview with the lead singer, like you said, and he talks a lot about like it's very much like a you can't go home again kind of vibe, where they're saying like, oh, a lot of your fans say you like abandoned Richmond, Virginia to like go tour in Europe and everything, and he's like, I don't know, we just kind of like lived there, like it was fine, I didn't think it was a big deal, and like their sound changed. And then, like, we're also getting, like, cuts of, like, the bass player who tries to go home and get back with her boyfriend, like, from, like, high school, I guess. And he's like, you've broken up with me in this bedroom twice. Like, I'm done being your, like, whenever you feel like yeah, it kind of boy. Yeah, and, like, I've had relationships like that where, like, the rebound keeps coming up and you're like, this is terrible for everybody. <laughs> and then, like, the drummer is trying to like kind of cash in a little bit and he's selling all like first editions of their records. And that's when he just sees Megan and he just like hits on her a little and gives her his phone number. And then she's like, gross. cool. And like, she, she like approaches him for an autograph and he's like, and he like thinks he's going to, you think he's going to do like the nice thing. And he pulls out one of the records and he signs it and he gives it to her and then he like asks her for money for it. And she's like, Oh, so I thought that and he was... also spells her name wrong, Yeah. which, you know, I think is important because yeah. <laughs> he like just doesn't care at all. Yeah. And then, and it's basically just like, you know, he talks a lot about how, one of the things that I liked a lot about this that really doesn't fit in with the theme, but it's just something that I feel strongly about is they talk a lot about how like fans feel like they have ownership over the music. And I find that a lot in fandoms where he was like, we wanted to grow up. We didn't want to just play hardcore anymore. Like we weren't 19 and like pissed at the world. We wanted to evolve. And like all the fans took that as like betraying them. And he's like, they, we never told them like that they had to keep giving us money like 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 us when you like us and then like that's it you don't have to like we don't owe you anything more than we've already given you and i just that's something that Speaking i, of I Doctor used who. <laughs> yeah i used to feel very much on the fan side of it and now i'm very much the opposite yeah nobody owes you anything just because you're a fan yeah i really liked yeah. the um like especially the point when he's saying like if you're still like saying the same thing that you were saying like 20 years ago like why are you still doing it like just stop making music if yeah. you're not going to evolve like i thought that was really interesting yeah and also when he talks about the bass player bridget he's this is during the breakup he's talking about how she like never wrote songs before and then all of a sudden she just came to the studio once with a couple like really, really good songs that like redefine their whole sound. 
And like, I just love that idea that she was this like quiet, like more passive creative force. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's framed with the breakup where she was like finally comfortable to be open and it like redefined their sound way more than moving did. Right. And it's just, you know, a, a super sad bass player that can't make a relationship work. Maybe kind of sounds like me a little bit. <laughs> um, as a reminder, you're getting married soon. So yeah, like, but I mean, don't go too mind, sad here. <laughs> I know, but keep in mind, like, I read this when I was in college. Okay. <laughs> and maybe I, like, came home a couple times and had somebody waiting for me that I didn't want to not leave. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it's besides the point. <laughs> um... <laughs> So yeah, Megan is only there for the signing, and um, that's Richmond, Virginia. So I have a question for you guys. Sure. So I don't know if you have any like musical history at all. Do either of you? No. It depends what you mean by musical history. Like, have you played like like I guess in this context, like a, like an instrument with your friends kind of thing? <laughs> I I did <laughs> four years of marching band, and I can play piano. Okay, so did you, like, because I could see this being, like, a the least relatable issue, or, like, for me, it was maybe the most relatable. Did you feel like the themes resonated with you at all without having that context? It does from the fandom sense, and it does from, I mean, at the very least, the sense of having these friends that you think are going to be in your life forever, that you think are always going to be great and then it breaks over something stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, this resonated with me. Um, even without the musical background, especially the fandom part, just, you know, I don't want to gossip about other fandoms, but this is kind of a big thing in the last nine months with some podcasts. And, mm-hmm. and the fandoms are kind of bleeding over and not remembering that, like, you get this for free. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah the the fan the the fan culture thing was definitely the relatable part of it for me because I've like gone on rants before about how like nobody's owed anything and it drives me crazy when people think that they are. So I thought that was you know really interesting and it's sort of it's sort of interesting in a lot of ways to like see that reflected in something that was written like you know and is meant to be taking place in the nineties because I feel like this is so much more like a conversation that we're having today. So, like, to know that this yeah. is, it's one of those things where, like, to know it's, like, always been happening, like, Louisa May Alcott was sinking ships, you know, fan ships deliberately <laughs> in, like, the 1800s, so, like, this is one of those. God, I hope so. so. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, um, she, yeah, I mean, no, she was. This is in, she like, was. a, yeah. <laughs> and, like, this is in a pre-internet age, and, like, you know, they're talking about, like, this is, he's being interviewed for a magazine in print, can you believe <laughs> that? But, like, yeah, like. I think that there is definitely something universal about that, for sure. So the next one is Two Brothers, which is in Missoula, Montana. And I'm, I think I've been there. I don't remember where in Montana I've been. Montana's gorgeous. I just want to get... Is there a lot of mountains? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been to Yellowstone, and we drove through Montana to get to Yellowstone. So. Did, did you oh, okay. did you pick up a hitchhiker cool. that could have raped and murdered you for a second no. time? <laughs> <laughs> no, like this was the point I was like, oh, this is going to go bad. Like, see, this one actually goes bad, unlike <laughs> the other one, which was luckily not. But it is a thing that 
everybody kind of has to come to terms with is at some point you're going to have something happen to you where maybe not at that point, but at some point you're going to look back and be like, how close did I get to dying? <laughs> yeah, well, I actually take this as a parallel to the second issue where I feel like she got very lucky and then because of that, she's like super nice and trusted, mm -hmm. you know? And like, I think we've all had like lucky encounters that kind of stopped us from being as cautious in the future. And I, at first I, I wasn't sure if this was supposed to be like, a, like, um, I didn't realize about like the angle of like, oh, like send us locations to draw about. Like, I thought that this was like, maybe like sort of semi-autobiographical. And then I was reading this and I was like, dear God, don't tell me that this happened to like one of the people working <laughs> yeah. on this book. Like, <laughs> Oh, that would have, yeah. Um, I do like, in the essay, they apologize to Montana. Oh. <laughs> like, we're sorry. <laughs> Um, and yet the, the hitchhiker she picks up for whatever reason, like looking back at it now, I don't see it, but I totally got a Nicolas Cage vibe for him. And I was like, I <laughs> oh, don't totally. Know where this is going at all. He uh, just has such a strong, he has such a strong jaw and he's also a crazy guy yelling with a gun. True. <laughs> this is true. So she picks up a hitchhiker who claims that he's late for a meeting and his car stopped working. Um, and they end up going to oh it's called two brothers i don't know if i said that it's called two brothers and they go to dickie's diner and casino dixie dixie's yes dixie's. i think it's dixie's <laughs> sorry it looks like a k okay I, I could definitely see that my eyes are going bad guys <laughs> getting very old um and we see the brother who looks like a redneck so the the guy she picks up is in a suit Looks like he's going to some business meeting to do business things. And the brother is in a trucker hat with a very bushy mustache and um, maybe works on cars. It's not just a trucker hat. It's a hat that says trucker on it. <laughs> it's just Montana trucker. Well, okay, yes. Yeah. And you just, there's this immediate visual duality where it's like, this is the like Yankee, mm -hmm. you know, like Wall Street guy. And this is the very like blue collar you know, whatever. If I go home to visit my family in Arkansas, this is how I feel, kind of. Do you bring a gun? No. God, no. <laughs> yeah, we gotta make light of this chapter somehow. Um, yes, it's pretty serious. Especially with the end. Yeah. 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 So, he won't let her leave. He's basically taking her hostage as he's beating up his brother, and they end up in the diner um, with the gun. One brother's pointing the gun at the other, and you're, I guess, supposed to feel sympathetic towards the trucker brother until he tries to choke out Megan. Like, that was a bit much. Yeah, so basically their conflict, because it's really hard to, like, talk about it chronologically because you kind of get yeah. pieces of it through their conversation. It's not really like an exposition dump as it more as, as it is like a conversation you kind of are in the middle of where basically the suit guy is trying to convince the trucker guy to sign, to give the suit guy power of attorney over his dad's will. Right. Because the suit guy's like whole life has fallen apart. Cause apparently he's like 
they call him like a miserable bastard or whatever. And he's just like this all work and no play guy who like can't take a joke. And like his wife left him and like took the kids and like, he's always been the butt of everyone's jokes. And like, at least I took it as like, this is why he fights so hard to be successful. Yep. And then when, I mean, this is right around the market crash. So I don't know if that's, you know, if that is what he's going for or if it's before that, but he basically lost everything and he's, like kind of law he seems like he's had a nervous breakdown and he's trying to take his dad's assets as a way to like turn it back around and you kind of get the implication that the brother the trucker guy has been like a bully his whole life too so i didn't really think i was supposed to feel sorry for either of them they're kind of both like just two bastards well it it felt that way at first until the trucker brother is the younger brother so until he punches his older brother and then chokes megan and then i was like nope you both suck i don't know what's going to happen here but um i kind of wanted them both to die and then i felt bad about that um (laughs) and apparently they also have a younger sister who is not in this at all other than mentioned and who is so traumatized like won't come within 50 miles of the older brother um and the younger brother has been taking care of the dad. So yeah, he keeps asking him, like, what's the whole point of this? It's not like you're going to get the money today. Realizes he's killed the dad. Um, and then shoots the younger brother, which actually causes a hostage situation to the point that the police come. Mm-hmm. And yeah, super fun. Um, Sorry, side note, I definitely see the Nicolas Cage thing in this one. This, this, <laughs> like, this one panel that I'm trying to like gesture to. I was like, oh my god, that I definitely see it when he's talking to himself in the mirror. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's yes. a total Nicolas Cage vibe. Um, and so older brother ends up killing younger brother, and then committing suicide. And yeah. kind of, I mean, it's terrible. But this last panel, or last page, which just has the outside and the birds flying off and the time, is kind of gorgeous. Yeah. So they do this full-page spread, and, like, at least for me, it kind of took it where this whole issue is... This issue takes place in the smallest space. It's all in this one diner room, Mm -hmm. where usually, like, you get a feel for the whole city... But in at least in this part of Montana, it's really just like this is the only thing for miles. So like it almost contextualizes in a way that they seem very, very small. Like the problem, which is the most severe problem in the whole book, is made like very small in like the vast expanse of these mountains of Montana. And like I I, the thing about this issue is like this is maybe my least favorite issue of the whole book. But like not to get super like dramatic or whatever, but like in my family, when like I had grandparents get really sick, which caused like a huge schism between one of my parents and all their siblings. And like, I understand that, like, I'm not saying that one of them like killed my grandpa or anything, (laughs) but like, you know, like I seeing the desperation in everybody here, like it seems very, it seems exaggerated because like they're you know like shooting each other and stuff (laughs) but like i totally get it like it does still feel like real characters even though this is the most like i guess like over the top issue i think it's like the least plot wise relatable 
Sure, but I think it's also a very important yeah. issue because if this had been 12 issues of her kind of skirting around and doing stupid things and not having any repercussions, I don't think I would have loved it overall. Yeah. Um, that being said, this was a very, very hard issue to read. Yeah, and yeah. like you see that that like the trauma from that experience like really sticks with her for a long time because in one of the yeah. the very later issues like she's literally still having nightmares about it and it's probably at least like seven years later. So right, yeah, and it also sets up this idea of parents affecting siblings' relationships, which are gonna it's gonna pay off more in Megan's life, you know, in a few years. Right. Also, as someone like. I don't necessarily get made fun of, but I've always kind of felt off in relation to my siblings, especially. Um, like, I have seven of them, six of six sisters. They've all been cheerleaders. I have not. Like, I am the band kid. Mm-hmm. And so there have been points in my life where I'm like, for the love of God, can I not be the butt of the joke? Mm-hmm. But I also know that I several of them them have also felt this way so i guess that kind of keeps all of us from doing this plus you know sanity um (laughs) yeah but that that i definitely like i i get for sure yeah so let's move on to the next one okay so now we're in let's abandon america completely go to fucking canada now we're in halifax nova scotia (laughs) the last lonely days at the oxford theater Okay, it took me a minute to figure out what this one was doing. I really, I really <laughs> like this one. I, I do too. Yeah, and it's I get the impression that she can't cope with being herself, so she yeah. is trying to find a new personality. Yeah, like this is like a, a story that you would sort of like expect to see in like a rom com. Like it's like something like it's something quirky mm-hmm. that people do. Like this is actually a, a gimmick on superstores that America Ferrera's character, because she's working in retail and retail sucks, she doesn't like anybody getting to use her real name, so she always uses someone else's name tag every episode. And like that's a it's like one of those gimmicks that like you would expect to see in a rom com, but I really like the way that it was handled, especially because she gets like called out on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she basically works at, like, an old-timey movie theater that has, like, the ticket booth at the beginning, like, when you walk in. And she picks out a different name tag every shift and usually changes her hair and is, like, a different person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of implied that she's the only person working there? Like, they only have two shows a day, and in the end, when she leaves, like, she leaves a note to the proprietor that, like, she's sorry. So it sort of seems like she's, like, running the whole place. So. Yeah, yeah. A movie theater can get very dead. Yeah, and I could see this happening, um, especially in Nova Scotia. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Canada. Jeez. Damn Canadians. Just kidding. We love the Canadians. My best friend is trying yeah. to immigrate there right now to be with his <laughs> to be with his wife. So we can't say anything bad about Canadians. <laughs> I went there for their wedding. I right before the election. I wish I had stayed there. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've debated calling a couple friends and being like, "Can I just come move in with you for a while?" So she ends up mid shift changing her name tag and her hair, and tries like the most awkward i almost was like reading this like hiding in my shirt because i hate secondhand awkwardness so much yeah. and that's all i could feel the whole time because she's 
in a movie trying to talk to this dude and very clearly lonely and won't shut up as she tries on yeah. whatever personality uh, i think it's Susie or Suze. yeah and she lays it on so thick that it's like so obvious that she's just practicing on this guy right and uh is holy smoke a real movie it has harvey Keitel and kate winslet i think it is they okay. they re- like <laughs> there's a there's a couple times where they like um like when the characters are watching stuff on TV, or in this case with the um, the movie poster, they deliberately make it like more photorealistic than everything else. So I think this was definitely a real thing that they were drawing because when you look at the the drawings in the movie poster, it definitely looks real. It is. It's so. This is supposed to be 1999. Okay. We're moving up. We're getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this? Is this a period piece? How do you know this information about this? <laughs> no, I don't know any of the information. I just saw their, oh, okay. their names on the poster. I It was Kate Winslet, oh, so shit. I paid okay. attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, it's an Australian drama film. Okay. Um, Kate Winslet is really good at faking Australian. Sorry, that, that was right. That, <laughs> so, that no, was a, no, 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 you're there, good. There's context for that. She did a really great movie called The Dressmaker, where she fakes Australian really well. <laughs> so I apologize. So the cover on Wikipedia, it's a tabloid Times, and it looks like it's her having sex with some guy, but his head's not in the picture. So you said she's really. It just took me a minute. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all good. Uh, um. So she has like a series of secondhand awkward encounters. Yeah. So oh, the, the she worst. Tries to talk to this guy, and the guy just like gets up and the moves. worst one is the one with the then the a mom, mom comes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, it's so the bad. mom comes and she's like, "Is Beth here? Because she like hit on my very young son, and it was weird." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh no, I'm Rachel, but Beth got fired." And then she throws away the Beth name tag. Yeah. And it's like it's pretty awkward, and like. She's like, well, what did what did your son say? And she's like, she just, he just said she was like super creepy and weird. And she's like, oh. And then a guy comes and he's like, oh, Jenny. And she's like, no, I'm Rachel. And he's like, you're very clearly the same person <laughs> I talked to. That's not how this works. And then she like realizes that the jig is up, and she tries to get a cup of coffee, and the guy confronts her and he's like, can you just tell me who you are? Like, this is just, like, you're just messing with people's minds. Like, do you get off on this? And I took this as, like, she's doing this as a coping mechanism because, like, she hates herself. And this guy thinks that she's doing it, like, to get off on this. And, like, this seemed like a really real encounter to me where there's just this guy that's like, I know everything about you. (laughs) And, like, obviously I don't, but I'm, like, going to make you feel like shit about it. No, I I was, like, cheering on this encounter because like oh god my best friend has heard this rant so many times my best friend and I were in this into this show White Collar and it was just like this I, I will complain about this always where just like they fucked up the ending so bad and like they, <laughs> they like let the con man main character like get away with everything despite that the entire show up to that point had been about like him trying to like change and be a good person so when he was like calling her out and saying like nobody's gonna want to be your friend like nobody's gonna want to trust you I'm like yes person like you tell her oh so like, and I like every time since that I've run across like any sort of scene that holds a character like this accountable I'm like yes this is good keep going so because oh I carry like so much resentment at that show for fucking me over so i was so i was so, so happy okay megan be the tiebreaker is this her getting her justified comeuppance or is this just uh, a sad girl getting berated by some guy that has no business as someone who very much wanted to escape into books and be 
these heroines that I wanted to be. I completely like understand this desire. Yes. I used to like <laughs> as a kid I wanted to fake having a twin sibling and now I have two sets of twins and I see that that is not as fun. Um and no, I totally feel for her and I but I didn't necessarily like feel any anger towards the guy. Yeah, like, I think it becomes justified when, like, even if I understand the impulse, like, I totally understand, like, why she feels the way she does and why she wants to, you know, avoid who she is. But, like, I think it starts being genuine when he says, like, just tell me one genuine thing and she still clings to saying I'm Rachel Silver from Madison. So, like, because that's definitely, like, not that she owes this guy anything, but, like, he's definitely right in saying, like, you're not even being genuine with anyone. So I think that that's um, where it starts seeing like there is a kernel of truth to that. So mm, yeah, I could totally see a guy like if if you can clearly tell someone's pretending to be someone else and be like, no, I gotta find out what's happening here. Is it implied they went on a date or is it just? He says you just told me your whole life story. Oh, that's right. Talking to me. That's right. Yeah. And then there's the like she gets up to the counter and it's like a Starbucks kind of place and they say like oh like you know we'll call your name when it's ready and then she says like what's your name and she like, Megan doesn't even know how to answer at that point. So that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the jig is definitely. And then she quits the movie theater and runs away. Yeah. Not the first uh, uh, note the she leaves. With the, the note yeah. to the proprietor that she actually signs with her real name. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she where she goes where all lost souls go, <laughs> Park Slope, <Hey>. Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, yes, the next issue is Megan and Gloria, apartment five A, which is in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is apparently where um, Brian Wood lives or lived at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know that because you have like his whole like you have his lease? And... <laughs> Actually, okay, let me read you. Oh no, 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 because Megan's on Trulia like right no, now. Like... <laughs> no, this is from the essay. I gotta find it. Okay, which part are you looking for? I'm looking at the essay. There, like it specifically says where they live. Oh, here it is. Eighth uh, Avenue near Eleventh Street. Yep, upstairs from that laundromat. <laughs> I lived about a block away. I live about a block away from them. <laughs> Music matters. A great little shop. Dizzy's great breakfast sandwiches. Two little red hens. Fantastic if expensive. Uh, the F train, the slowest, smelliest train. Agreed. Um, great Lakes, a great bar that wasn't so keen on me taking reference pictures for Ryan. <laughs> so yeah, um, probably won't go this weekend because it's fucking cold. But I love Park Slope, and I'm going to totally go to find that spot. I just want to see those building or those places are still there, and I've you got to see the dingy bathroom. Eight or twelve years, or yeah, twelve years. So yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I don't live in Park Slope. I live in South. Brooklyn. So you're gonna have to cough up the money for that IMDb Pro account if you want to find out where Megan really lives. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so Gloria is renting out part of her apartment, and it's implied she's a nurse or a doctor mm-hmm. or a med student, someone who has crazy hours. Um, and the schedule. Oh, so this it actually has a date. This is June 2000. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it gives her a schedule. And basically tells her, you know, be gone when I'm home, which is weird. Um, but no, like as someone that has had overnight hours the past four years and like needs to essentially be Batman, like I totally get it. <laughs> and she also says, like, I'll give you a break on the rent. It's only six ninety a month. You don't have to sign a lease or anything. Right. 
you know, she like, and she says like, I know this sucks, but like, this is what it is. Right. And that is a very, I feel like a very New York thing. Finding an apartment in New York is unlike anywhere else I've ever. I lived. like um the part where she's talking to the guy and she um like one of her friends and she's like, isn't this like totally unreasonable? And he's like, well yeah, I had this yeah. He said um he had this roommate that went through his stuff when he wasn't there. And she says you went through your stuff. You didn't just move out. And he goes, it was four fifty a month for a front room in a brownstone. Are you kidding? Like you know. She has such a non-New York way of looking at it. Yes. Yeah, because she's even saying like. Like, she's so weird, and they're like, so what? It's just, it seems fine. And then she's like, but, like, she's your roommate. Aren't you supposed to be friends with your roommate? And they're like, what? Which... Like, that's, like, I feel like it's such a, it's, like, that New York state of mind is like, no, you just, like, it's convenient for us to be in the same place. That's enough. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love what, I love when she says, like, but she's my roommate. Aren't we supposed to be friends? And the friend is like, ah, that's yeah, cute. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so. And she keep like, she leaves her note, you know, hey, I'm bartending, come join, and then gets really offended when she sees her out with other friends and then starts being obnoxious. I I don't have a roommate, um, so I don't know, and I haven't had a roommate that I'm not friends with since I was in college. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know how I would have handled this situation. Specifically, the find somewhere else to go when you know, I'm home. That's weird. But the don't touch my laptop, don't touch, you know, my stuff kind of thing, I get that. Like, yeah, yeah, especially the shitty stuff that Megan does to her, like, in Vengeance, like, yeah. es especially the printing out the documents from her laptop and, like, hanging yes. them up in the bathroom, like, in the bar, so... Yeah, so she, like, raids Gloria's laptop and finds out she's, like, super obsessive about, like, cleaning supplies and like this is when the toilet paper will run out so i have to buy them on this date and like all that stuff which which like again living in new york and having to budget you yeah like i am not that obsessive but you start paying attention more so than i ever did anywhere else of like my money or my money my stuff my money is getting low but the dog food is getting low and I need to start rationing and making sure, like, instead of just dumping it out, that I'm actually scooping the right amount so that we can get to the next paycheck kind of thing. Yeah. And all her friends are like, you're you, like, you went through her stuff like that sucks. Like all her friends call her out immediately that like you're real. Like, that's just that's just not right. She doesn't have to be nice to you, but like she has rules and you're just violating her privacy. Yeah. And I felt bad that like her roommate obviously like probably has some like issues because when you look oh, at definitely. the when you look at the clothing organization one in particular like she has like pros and cons for organizing by color and like organizing by style and like one of the cons is like business suits are mixed with casual or like shoes would lose prominence and like that's definitely like she definitely has some issues and like i felt really bad that megan was like making fun of her so yeah. <laughs> even if she gets called out on it like the um she's been asking gloria to come to the bar for like a really long time and like like, Gloria never comes, but one of her friends, you know, shows up at the bar one night and hears, like, Megan, like, really bitching about her and is like, you know, Gloria told me I should come here. Like, she said you were really nice. And that's, like, a real wake-up call for her. So Yeah, so she bounces again. Yeah, <laughs> instead of handling But she doesn't want to. This is the first time where she debates not running and has not yeah. quite grown up enough to be like, I'm going to face that I did something awful. Um, but 
she says, fine, this will be the last time I do this. Right. JK, it's not. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. We're six in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've all made that call, yeah. though, where we're like, I'm never going to do this again. Whoops, I did it immediately. <laughs> yeah. So now we get chapter seven. We'll try to speed up these. <laughs> yeah, chapter seven is her back in the background again. It's called Hazardous Youth, and it's in Arizona. And it is all about her cousin, little Nikki. And who is a very typical early 2000s teen, um, corn and yeah, um, doing a lot of drugs, drinking a lot. I don't know. Maybe that's how everybody's early 2000s went. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's basically just like a punk kid that like fights with his parents all the time. And like, you know, he smashes people's cars. He goes to parties and like throws up on people. And he hates it. Like, like he hates everyone. So he just yeah. hates everyone. And like it seems like the only time we really see him not miserable is when he gets postcards from all the places Megan's been. And she keeps promising like he can come and visit, but before even making a plan, she's moved on to another place. Yeah. And kind of his wake up lesson of like you can get lied to by adults and it sucks. Yeah. And this was Uh, when I, I really started liking it because you see like her actually caring about another person, which up to this point you really hadn't seen. So I thought this made, this made her like a little bit more likable because you see that, you know, even if she keeps like unintentionally brushing him off by like never having a plan for him to come, like she does actually care. Like when she falls out of contact with him or, you know, when she doesn't remember. So I thought that was, you know, a really nice touch. And this made me, you know, like the book a little bit more. Right. And I think it's supposed to be kind of in parallel with the last ones, because I feel like towards the end, she's kind of coming to terms that she's been kind of terrible. Yeah, definitely. Um, I never took the opinion that we're supposed to, like, root for her the whole time. No, yeah, not no. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I, and, and I, for, I, I don't feel yeah, that way at all. For me, that's a hard line to walk. Yeah, I don't feel that way at all. I definitely, like, sort of, um, I, like, I, I don't think the characters have to be likable, but, you know, I, I felt for her i just didn't necessarily like her but i don't think we were supposed to all the time so because she's they're very clearly showing that like she does shitty things to people so yeah she's very basically yeah yeah so my question is there's this last panel and is nikki okay so nikki's story basically ends with he steals a bunch of money from his mom and tries to use it to buy weed and they rec- like the drug dealer recognizes that he's just like some punk kid with a bunch of money. So they take his money and they don't give him anything. And he like smashes their, their house up and then he tries to run away, but they like beat the hell out of him. And I think the implication, like he's, he shows up again later. So he's not dead at first. I thought I they like killed thought him. He showed up in the I thought it was a hallucination. That, yeah. That everybody else shows up and, as a hallucination. Oh, no, I thought that th- that one was actually real. But I could be totally wrong about that. We'll debate it when we get to that one. But uh, I I don't know. It's the art is so wonderful, but I cannot tell what. Oh no, it's definitely a hallucination. What that's supposed to be? Is it supposed to be his hand or? I don't know. Oh, I think it's just so the the last panel of the issue before, like the last panel of Nikki's story. I think it's just his hand covering his face as they like just beat him. Okay. And like. I don't. I didn't take the implication that he died because I feel like if he did, they would have mentioned yeah, that okay, at some too. point. 
But I think it's more just like he only relates to Megan and Megan is so not there for him at all because their correspondence are completely one way. She writes to him, but he can't ever write back because she moves. Yeah. And I I think that this is one part where I I really liked what they did with the art because it's the first time we see um, whenever somebody gets drunk, like the panel gets like really like photorealistic, but also like super blurry. And I thought that was like a really interesting touch. Ryan Kelly does a lot of really cool choices. Yeah. There was like there was one thing I, I didn't mention before where I really like um he does it a couple times where like for dramatic effect he'll have like one panel of like Megan saying something like really dramatic and then he'll do the next panel will be like the same panel but it'll just be like Megan's face but like on pure white with like no background, like for emphasis uh-huh. on like her facial expression and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish he did more things because I like don't have any other Ryan Kelly at all. Um, I really liked reading like he used different material for every issue, and tried mm-hmm. a different style. And it, it, I mean, it's amazing. I was at first a little apprehensive. I was like, "This is a black and white comic. I don't know how I feel about that," but it is so well done. Like, I don't know why I was apprehensive. I love black and white movies. Like, it's no different. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those stories where, like, I almost... I don't know if I could imagine it in color, necessarily. No, I think that would have done it a disservice. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, chapter eight is Food as Substitute, which is... We're in Chicago. Wicker Park, Chicago. So, have either of you been a waiter or a waitress? No. I have not. No, I haven't either. I've been a bartender, <laughs> but... Uh, um. Damn, so that cuts any conversation about how realistic is this? <laughs> I I want to hope my food servers like aren't having sex in the back room, but you know that's just me. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm looking at it, and they don't. Neither of them use their hands at all for the sex, so it should be fine. <laughs> um, from what I understand, like the hormones running and everybody sleeping with everybody is like a very big thing in the restaurant world, but. I could totally see this happening. It is such, so unsanitary, but like, yeah, yeah. the fancier the restaurant, the more they're probably boning. I don't know. Maybe there's an implied washing of hands, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. To fit with the metaphorical washing, like washing our hands of all the boys, you know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's thematic. Um, well, I mean, he's a cook. I really hope he washes his hands. I would hope so. And this is the first time to... She's dating one of the cooks, and she's being flirted with by a guy that is clearly very stable. Yeah. Very rich, yeah. Um, has a job that, you know, makes money and, you know, has an apartment where he lives on his own, knows things about wine. And so I, he I guess her, about... He leaves her a $40 tip, so... Yeah. And I guess she's probably about that 22, if not, like... We're six, yeah, probably, probably six or seven. Here. Yeah, so she's probably, actually, she may be closer to, like, mid-20s by this point. But either way, she's at that point where, at least I remember going through this, where I'm like, oh, you're in your 30s, and I could technically date you, but that's kind of weird, because I still feel like I'm back in my teens, but... So one of the characters <laughs> says, what are you, 26, 27? That's right. Um Yeah. I, I last year I got out of a relationship with a guy in his mid thirties and I remember being like, Is this okay? Being in a relationship with a guy that 
theoretically seemed so much older than me because my mind was so far yeah you know thinking i don't know i'm still not an adulty adult so i I, i'm i like seeing this theme here because i've always felt that was more of like a millennial thing like the extended adolescence caused by like student loans and like the poor housing market and like all these things that i i know that like me and everyone else my age has a very hard time accepting that they're grown up in any way at all yeah and like seeing this reflected in a comic like you know that came out 10 years ago and also like takes place you know five years before that like much like the fandom stuff like it seems more universal than i thought yeah yeah i definitely have some friends that would be about megan's age and could you know know that they've experienced something like this and she ends up dating both of them briefly or she ends up cheating i don't know which way you want to go with that well it's the thing that they do say is at in halfway through this issue she it's the first time that she actually refers to her with the like with the cook as dating yes and the friend does say like you're not like exclusive or anything right and she says no right so like I wouldn't take it as cheating, but it it's not like honest. Like she's not being open about right, it. Yeah. But like basically the thing that pushes this divide is she's trying to convince the guy to take her back to his place cuz she's like I want to sleep in a bed with you like normal people. I don't just want to sleep with you in a cl- in, I don't want to just like have sex in a closet all the time. I really was hoping that you weren't going to be able to say sex and was really just going to keep referring to it as sleeping. Well, you know what? Some of us, you know, blush when they're talking to ladies about sex. Some of us take the more romantic view. I'm going to remind you of the last episode where you read. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that was like shitting. Like, I could talk about shitting. It's not as intimate. No, do you not remember him staring at his penis during, you know, turning the Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, Oh, well. Well, with comics, you have to, like, w- look at it. There's a boob in this issue. There is a boob in this issue. <laughs> so, like, Which kind of came there. out of nowhere. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, or we could be <laughs> looking this... at nipples, sure. Like... <laughs> yeah. And so the, she gets to his apartment, and it's, like, such, like, a dorm room apartment. Like, there's trash everywhere. It's got a TV that's covered in stains somehow. They're watching, they're they're watching, watching... the Matrix. They totally yeah, they're watching, watching the Matrix. Matrix. And, like, you know, he's got, like like clothes everywhere and like beer bottles all over the place. And she like tries to fall asleep and she's like, I can't do this. And that's like what drives the divide and why she goes out to like a fancy dinner with this other guy. And, um, and it goes well, like they have a great time and until she gets back to his apartment. (laughs) Yeah. Like she, it's, it's really, you know, I don't. This one resonated more with me than than most of them for whatever reason. As like that moment of like, I have to kind of grow up. But then she, you know, also follows her heart, and it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. So she's fine. She's having sex <laughs> with the rich guy. You know, if you can't she... say it, you can't have it, right? <laughs> Were you not told that growing up? Shit, that explains everything. (laughs) So, she's with, and like, maybe not in a sexual setting, but I've totally done this where you're like, don't realize you just say a thing out loud and you're like, oh my god. Oh yeah. So, they're they're totally boning down and she just says, wow, I hate this song. And she's like, oh god, I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
And I felt and so I like, felt so bad for the guy. He looked like so sad. <laughs> but he's also like kind of weird about it. Where he's like, "Oh yeah, no, sweetheart, what can I do to make this more enjoyable oh. for you?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, God. no." He like I, I felt like, bad, but at the same time, I was like, "No, this isn't gonna work." Like you know, the frame so. before he says that he it, it he looks so much older than he has the rest. Yeah, yeah. And then, so I was like, "Wait, are you supposed to be like a kind of almost creepy?" Yeah, I think well, you I could look at it as creepy, but I. Yeah. I think you could definitely. I think you could definitely view it that way, especially when he leaves her like the tip, and they've like sort of been like like she might be like you know flirting to get better tips, but like it's also kind of like you're an older guy like preying on this younger waitress, like that's maybe not okay. Like so, I definitely see like where yeah. it can be viewed as like creepy or weird. Yeah. Also, and don't uh, the hit thing that really waiters and waitresses. Yeah, yeah well, that, don't do that. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I, God, I'm always defending these fucking creepy guys. Apparently, <laughs> I super don't mean to do this. No, I just, like, I just said I felt bad it... for him. You're okay. <laughs> so I know they they make it an important theme that he's just like leaving tips and like kind of flirting with her a little, but she follows him outside and talks to him before they ever go on a date. Yeah. Well, so, he like... comes back at closing to talk to her at one point. Oh, does he? Yeah, because like the. Cook is looking out from the kitchen, and like someone's like, "Your woman's talking to another man," kind of thing. Oh no, you're right. You're right. He does come back. So that's weird. So yeah, but the thing that really turned me sour on this guy is that like she says, "Like I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong. It's not you." And he's like, "It's it never is." And he basically like Bruce Wayne's her, where he's like, "Have have the doorman call you a cab." He knows the drill. Well, she and, like, she asked him, "Can you call me a cab?" So, yeah, but like he's he's he says he knows the drill, and like it at first I feel bad for him because he's like, "It's never me," and I took it. But then when he's like, "Oh, this is you're just another girl," like that. Yeah. Rubbed me so he totally way. has a thing for young waitresses, right? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Or just younger women that, like, he definitely probably uses. Like, he definitely, like, Bruce Wayne's and, like, throws his money around yeah. now that Ryan put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't feel like he, like, he like, the date is so, like, you know, it's not like he, like, lures her yeah, on a date. Like, no. it's, it's very consensual, but, like, it's still has this, like, air of, like, he seems to, this is what he does. Yeah. And Especially like, the, like, we're making... Forget the wine. Okay. And then, yeah. like, making out, come with me. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I've been on this date. A lot it's of his weird. dialogue, yeah, and a lot of his dialogue is like, just bring me whatever food you want. And she's like, how do I know what you like? He's like, I want to know what you like. This is a good place to start. And, like, you yeah, really was, think he's never was, used that before? That, yeah, there's that was definitely creepy. <laughs> sincerity missing from him. But it, it's not... You're right, like, making it very clear, this isn't, like, an assault or anything like that. It's yeah, just yeah. a weird date. Well, and it's framed by the way the issue ends, because she goes back to the cook's house, and she says, he's like, "What's what did I do wrong? Like, what happened? And she just, like, hugs him and says, I love you. And the narration is, I just need honest and passionate and sweet and grounded, a genuine person, a real human being, someone who'll love me back. And, like, it shows how she's... She wants someone more put together than this guy, but she needs someone as grounded as this guy. Yeah, like, she thought that, like, she's been, like, being told, like, oh, she says, like, it's, like, the smart way to go is, like, to get together with this, like, older, stable guy, and then she, like, finds out that there's a lot of reasons why that's, like, it might be the thing you, like, are supposed to do, but it's not what she wants to do, necessarily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he actually, I think he is in the next one, right? Like he kind of sticks around for a little while. Maybe not. I I had or not maybe one. not the next one. Does he come back in number ten or number nine? I had or sort is of a different guy. The same issue I sometimes have with Batman. What white man am I looking at? Especially yeah, if it's in black it's... and white. So <laughs> I don't know necessarily. Yeah. So I, no, it's I, not. I I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it's a it's different, a different yeah. guy. Never mind. Man, it felt so much better when I thought it. I was like, oh, cool. She's finally like kind of settling into herself. Um, but the next one is. Chapter 9, Wish You Were Here, Norman, Oklahoma. This one is short and very, very sad. Um, yeah. This also has my favorite art in it because it has a lot of flashbacks and all of the flashbacks are done with heavy shading. Yeah. And like it almost has like a charcoal look, even though it's still like sharp pencils. And like it's one of those things that a lot of times, like we talk about this on Divisive Issues a lot, that when an artist makes a choice to frame something in like a different type of vision or as a flashback or whatever, sometimes it's really hard to tell when it switches back and forth. And this one, I think Ryan Kelly, even without colors, does a really, really good job at making it clear when it's a flashback and when it's not. Yeah. Just by the way he shades his, his pencil. Agreed. It's, it's a very stark and dark versus light mm-hmm. and kind of fuzzy almost. Um, yeah but yeah it it kind of i get the impression she's starting to kind of get her life together she's at least in school it's implied yeah she's Um, in class like an art and probably an art school because she's at a museum for a class right so um i don't know i had to go to a museum for a class and i have a degree in physics so whatever yeah Yeah, we had to take an appreciation of something it was either music art or uh drama Um, i clearly went the drama route because i done four years of marching band it wasn't touching music so (laughs) so she is in class they are at a museum and she finds out her mother's died Mm -hmm. and she has to take this devastating news and go on public transport which is awful but I, i i get the implication she's still in chicago at the beginning of this oh maybe and she goes to oklahoma yeah I, that could that could make sense. Actually, now that I remember, they mentioned that in the essay. It does start in Chicago. Okay, um, cool. So she actually did stay around yeah. for a while. This was also the first issue I noticed the key around her neck. Yeah, yeah. it's been and I flipped back at the end when they talk about mm-hmm. it, and it is. Uh, it's been in every. Yeah, issue. I noticed it a couple times, but I think that they don't make it super prominent until now because now is when we start getting more detail on what her home life was like. So I think that's sort right. of like a deliberate choice. Yeah. Um, what do you think of her book choice? The book um, that she's so it's an 1860s novel um, about a daughter being raised by her widowed father. I'm I haven't read it. I've read pieces of it. Okay. It's um so it's not like it's not about like a mother daughter thing. It's called Wives and Daughters. It's not really um like the title makes it sound. It's sort of about a girl's relationship <laughs> with like her shitty like stepmom, but you know like and, yeah and like her stepsister. So but it's the the title served their purpose for what they needed. So it right. was um so it's not mm-hmm. like sort of like they make it sound, but it's a very like apropos title, and I thought that was really sweet. So since I was familiar with the book, but. Yeah, I've only read North and South of, of Me too. Elizabeth Gaskell, so, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And the miniseries. <laughs> Anyways, um, they are, they've gone to Oklahoma, which, is Oklahoma to be her hometown, or is this where her mother was currently? 
I think this is where her mother was or, currently. I guess the house is in Vermont. Right. And I guess that is her family house. Okay. So for reasons that we're not sure, maybe that's just where her fam- her mother's family's plot is. They're in Oklahoma. Or are they going to the funeral? I I'm so confused now. Well, I've com- the whole the whole story it they also could just be having a pit stop because the whole story is told it's her talking about her childhood to the guy she's with right. in a in like a diner on the highway. And she talks about the first time she ran away, which she was eight, I think. Yeah. And she got what, to the tree and stayed for two hours before coming back. Did either of you ever try to run away? No, I was a rule follower. <laughs> never like never like I'm running away and never coming back, but like I snuck out a few times and a, a couple times I would have a big fight and I would be like, I'm going back to college and just get on a train and go upstate. Okay. <laughs> but like it wasn't like running away as much as it was like, you know what? Fuck all y'all. Here. I'm leaving. Yeah. I ran away at um the age of seven or eight, got to the corner of my street and went Nope, I can't cross the street without an adult around. And kind of like <laughs> sat there for a little while and then went home. So, and that was the extent of my running away. Um, I love the thought that there were like just like no cars around and the street was deserted. But you were like, no, I can't oh, cross the street. I lived in small town. Like it was, there were no cars and it was one of the busier roads. And like, yeah. I mean, like, if you truly cross that street, you were getting in trouble. <laughs> Goes through all the times that she ran away and how her mother... She gets further and further every time. Yeah, and how her mother never gives her shit for it. Even and... the third time when she was, like, a teenager, and it's implied that, like, she got pretty far because she has to, like, call her mom to come get her. Right. As opposed to, like, yeah. the second time she ran away was, like, a half mile away. So, right. but the third time she definitely like probably got on a bus or a train or something and actually like went somewhere. Yeah. So. And the the first time she felt she was really going to get in trouble for it, she was like I really like when she called to get picked up, that was the day that her father passed away. Yeah. So she like that was kind of like her her mom didn't punish her because she was like look at what you missed kind of thing. Right. Um and she did it a couple times after that, and at one point comes back home when her brother yeah. moves out. Yeah. Um, and stays with her mom for a little while, but, like, I know people who have that restless spirit. She's not going to stay, and I think her mom also, I mean, she buy, buys her a car. Yeah, and, like, there's a point where, like, she and her mom are sitting on the couch, and her mom's like, oh, don't you have somewhere to be? And she's like, not today, but she's reading, like, National Geographic, and she's, like, really happy about it. So she's Mm -hmm. definitely, like, still trying to, like, sate that spirit, even though she's, like, still, like, coming home and, like, trying to stay in one place. Right. But when she says not today, her mom doesn't change her facial expression at all, but just says good. And I love this page a lot. Yeah. It says a lot. yeah, and that time she stayed for two whole months before her mom bought her the car and left. And the reason why, like, the reason why she has this relationship with her mom is basically she, her dad never challenged her mom at all. And she was, like, a smart, educated, liberal, she was politically active, but then she just became a housewife and basically, like, gave up all her dreams to just take, to have, like, a family. And 
she basically she literally says i like i think she would have seen limiting me as a form of child abuse like she just wants no limits on her daughter at all because she felt like she was super limited and even having the car doesn't really make megan stay around for long like she makes her own way after that because that's the car that she leaves with the shitty boyfriend in the first issue and that can't be she's definitely like 15 or 16 at that point and when she leaves the car with the boyfriend she must be like 18 so the car only kept her going for maybe like two years before she was like no like i'm really going to make my own way now yeah and she closes the issue the last line no it's not the last line but the last line for a few pages is am i any closer which again strikes really hard in this millennial's heart. I don't know about you guys, but I I turned 30 in three weeks. And so there's been a lot of like, have I done my twenties? Like I really truly wanted to like turning 30 doesn't scare me. It scares me more that the things that I didn't do that I wanted to. And so that one panel, um, I had to stop for a while. (laughs) So Um, But they end up going to the college and taking a picture where uh, her mom and dad stood when they met the first time, or it's where they met. Um, Yeah. And, oh, I guess that makes sense as to why they're in Oklahoma. They must have met in college. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Dwight. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, they get the picture, and she talks to her mom and tells her, you know, I'm doing my best, and yeah, that's kind of the end of that chapter. Yeah. Which is immediately, um, I'm really glad we read this in trade rather than issue to issue because to see chapter nine versus chapter ten, yeah, is so stark. Um, chapter ten is Bark Crawl. It takes place in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and it is starring Megan's older brother. No, younger. Is it younger? Okay. Yeah. Um, Matthew. Yeah, who is very damaged. <laughs> yeah, so the the issue really kind of explores mostly his relationship with the with his father before it kind of like pivots to his relationship with his mother. And I this might be my favorite issue of the whole book. Yeah, I think so. T- I no, maybe I like the one about Nikki a little bit more, but I definitely really like this one too. Yeah, it's just it's it's supposed it's to heavy. take place right after his mom died, according to the essays. I don't yeah. know if that's really. I didn't, and I didn't know if they were from di- different parents because when his father passed away, he says to Megan, "You at least still have like mom." So I didn't know if that the implication was like you're like that's your mom and not my parent oh no i i think it's just that like he is his father's son and she is their mother's yeah i took it is that okay the stuff that his dad's taught him is so ingrained now yeah yeah so we see a lot of scenes of him as a kid like it's him trying to drink away the sorrow about his mom now coupled with like after he got in trouble for shoplifting beer, his dad makes him sit at the table and drink a beer with him. Like, this is how men do it. There's no secret. And this is when we get to see what kind of man that his father is because his mom is like, go do your homework. And he's like, no, you sit and drink this beer. And that's when, as soon as she walks away, he just goes, fucking bitch. And it's like, you immediately get from his face what kind of relationship they have. Yeah. And it's kind of great that 
this kind of came out of left field because at no point has Megan ever made a comment about her dad being a terrible person, but I can't imagine that he treated her well at all. And, and she doesn't necessarily hate him for it. I, I kind of like that. They don't go the cliche, like, cause he's like, he's a drunk, like emotionally abusive dad, but I'm glad that they don't like follow through the, tr- like the trope completely. Yeah. Where, like, I think he's just, like, a bastard. Like, I don't think he, like... I don't remember any, like, implication that he, like, hits them at all. Or, like, he's just, like, a miserable son of a bitch that you would... Like, that that is a cliche of just, like, the old ball and chain at the bar that goes home and fights, you know. But, like, he's not, like... I'm not saying he's good, but he's not, like, the cliched monster dad that we always see in stories yeah, like this. Yeah, and I sort of like the, like the implication being that I guess you can figure Megan just sort of let it like roll off her back. Like, she didn't really let her dad get to her the same way like she and her mom could get under each other's skin. Whereas, like, yeah. I think it was just like, there was definitely a gender divide in their family where like, she and the mom had more friction and he and the dad had more friction and that was just the way that it was. Because the mom definitely didn't make an impact on, you know, her brother really. So yeah, and well, because she also resents the brother too, like the mom does, because she says like, "I'm so sick of you, like you're just like your father," and he like flips out and he's like, "How come you let Megan run away all the time and you're always telling me to be an adult?" And she's like, "You don't be an you don't act like an adult to get a reward or to score points or to compete with your sister. You just be an adult to be an adult." And the implication there is that like, she was taking care of her dad, like Megan's mom was taking care of the dad. And, like, always felt like her dreams were second fiddle to his. Mm -hmm. And she says the same thing as, like, I'm not going to be trapped into taking care of you, uh, taking care of him again with you. Yeah. Like, he's dead, so it's time for you to just grow up and get the hell out of here. And, like, one of the only, like, memories you see that he has of his mom is, like, they're going to, I guess, maybe to pick up Megan after the, the father passed away. And it's literally, like, the mom just saying, like, stop kicking my seat, Matthew. And you see, like, his face in the back seat. And he just seems, like, really, like, sad and little kiddish. And, like, that kind of strikes me is that, like, that's only really one of the memories that we see him having of her. Because Mm -hmm. it's almost like that's sort of, like, how little an impact his mom made on him as opposed to the father where he has, like, all these really strong memories of, like, things that they did together that weren't necessarily great but were still, like, things that his father technically taught him. So I thought that was really interesting. Most of them are just, like, dad on the couch with a beer being like, if you ever get married, don't let her give you shit like your mom yeah, gives me. just like the typical, and like, toxic this... masculinity type crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of the scenes that stands out, too, is there is a scene where Matthew tries to call Megan. And he goes through, like, a couple phone numbers, but she's left all those cities. Right. And he's, like, actually reaching out to her. He's drunk, and he's, like, trying to talk to her. And she's nowhere. It is very clear that while he is someone that would not view therapy in a positive way, like he is very desperately in need of it. And I mean, like a guy tries to offer him a light and he almost beats the, beats him up. And it's just that much anger didn't need really either parents. It it needed someone, you know, to help him kind of understand where the anger was coming from and why. And instead he got, 
a mom that almost does seem like she's kind of given up on him. Yeah, and it yeah. it just gets really like sad, especially like when you see him sitting at the bar and his phone is ringing. You don't you assume it's his wife. Yeah, it's his wife calling, and you know the bartender is like, "That's the third time you've let that ring." You know, are you playing hooky from work? And he says, "No, it's my cunt wife." And you see that he's really yeah. became and like that's like really harsh. And you see that like he really sort of like became his father, like his mom was always saying yeah. he would, and that just makes it like really sad. It really does. Yeah, and and then, like, his whole, like, desperately reaching out stuff hits the climax at the end of the issue where he's, like, trying to drive away and he's got the drunk vision, like we said, like, the blurry panels and everything. Mm -hmm. And just some guy, like, some just nice guy and his girlfriend are like, hey, man, can we call you a cab? Like, you don't look like you can drive. And he, like, screams at the girl and he echoes what his dad said and he calls her a fucking bitch. And then he he's like hey man like even the guy is still like hey just like lay off like we're just trying to help like he's super calm about it and then matthew goes to like punch him and then he looks up at him and he's just like weeping and he just like falls into the guy's arms and it's a full page of just the guy just like hugging him yeah i really liked um the couple of times where there were just full page i i really mm -hmm. like silent panels they're something that i i really yeah. notice in comics and this was a really effective one this was, like, probably yeah. my favorite moment in the whole book. Yeah, this is my favorite page of the whole book. And it's, like, heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. It was a really um, heavy issue. Yeah. So... Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, chapter 11 is The Younger Generation, which is in Toronto. And this is... Fucking millennials, you know? Yeah. This is actually written by both Brian, and, uh, Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly. Oh, that's nice. Um, it's the only one that Ryan Kelly got a kind of co-author. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it looks like Megan has kind of settled down. She's got a real job at a publishing She's back in Canada yeah, a publishing company in Toronto. Everybody should be in Canada, um, <laughs> and it's told through the receptionist's point of view, who's uh, you know probably five ten years younger. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know, like, it's so... And I, I love that it starts <sighs> with the receptionist is reading, um, an In Touch magazine, another thing that they sort of draw photorealistic, but I love yeah. that the, the, the text that you can see on the pages, I hate Megan, I want to punch her in the face, and when the, <laughs> when the characters say Megan, it's like, wow, like, what are you trying to oh say? Oh my god. Like, and I don't know, like, because Oh, it's, it's because so many fans, like... They didn't get a lot of fans that were kind of even ground. It was either like I really relate to Megan or yeah. like Megan's a fucking bitch. I want to punch her in the face. And it's like it's funny because it's another thing that they they drew photorealistic. So I'm guessing this is like a real issue of in touch, but I don't know what the celebrity like Megan would be unless it was like a reality show thing. Megan Fox? Oh yeah, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe it is Megan Fox. That's interesting. But I think it's definitely like the brad and angelina type days yeah that's interesting anyway that's a small detail that i just thought was really funny that was probably like a deliberate thing but um, oh yeah i yeah. didn't notice that at not all. at all <laughs> um so everybody's kind of leaving for the day and she claims that her ride's gonna be there should be there any minute and goes through and steals a diet coke and inkjet paper and I, okay, we've all stolen office <laughs> supplies. Don't pretend like you haven't. That's another point. I was about to say, I really thought she was a klepto. 
because especially when you, you see her, her apartment. apartment yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> and i was like cool this is you know what actually she probably is a klepto it d- doesn't do anything to negate that she probably is she has an entire box like a big cardboard box that has ketchup <laughs> on it i think she's a <laughs> she is, she's also got like the so naked many things of the index. naked torso of a mannequin got... and like a fake <laughs> bird or something well she's an art student i mean <laughs> that's true and she has as many shoes as megan's friend who has all those <laughs> um so yeah megan looks like she has we don't really know what her position is but it does look more than like interny or temporary it looks like she's actually yeah like midget. her office is decorated like she has books around she has like a you know like a little she... stereo system so she's definitely like there for kind of like a like at least a little bit of a long haul right so she is a poster of a duck holding his hand up saying quack to the hand so she's probably the <laughs> um, i also like the really thick ipod yeah yes um with the wheel so... oh oh it was so long ago <laughs> <laughs> so she the receptionist invites her to her art show do we get the receptionist's name i don't think we nancy um, Nancy, yes. Yeah. So she's apparently a student at the Drake. No, the exhibits at the Drake. She's a OCAD? student at the Toronto College. Yeah. I don't know what that stands for, but OCAD. <laughs> it's said at some yeah. point. Um, Megan tries to kind of, I guess she probably sees herself in this kid and tries to bond with her, invites her to a party, and which is a klepto's dream. Um so she goes yeah then we've got pages where it's her walking around her apartment and in the essay of on this one it talks about how they had no idea what they wanted to do for this issue but ryan kelly had been drawing easter eggs throughout the whole thing of like the prescription pad from the first issues actually in the second one as well the hat the trucker hat shows up in brooklyn and like these artifacts show up in other comics. So when Nancy collects them, basically steals a bunch of shit from Megan's apartment. Yeah. Um, like if you wanted to take the time and look back through, you can actually find them in other places. Yeah. Oh, Megan's room looks just as messy as mine does. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so they, they end up going to the art show which is the Ontario College of Art and Design. Class of oh. 2006 senior now. exhibit. So, oh God, I graduated from high school. Okay, I was like, wait a second. Okay, so this is still a little older than me. I was about to get really, really weirded out. Um, <laughs> and so she walks into this exhibit, which is a bunch of her things. And yeah, like the name tags from the theater, the signed record where like her name is spelled wrong, the pol- some of the Polaroids from the the boyfriend, and you know yeah. things like that, and like her like backpack and jacket, which like you think she would notice if they went missing, but <laughs> so my guess is that backpack yeah. she probably hasn't used. Yeah, that's that's true because yeah, she's been settled down, so that's true. Yeah, but you're right. The jacket, I kind of surprised she didn't realize that went missing. Uh, actually, in this art exhibit, it's not a backpack; it's a rucksack. Oh, okay. Just, you know, it's very important. I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a non-American way of saying backpack. I don't know Canada, you got us again. 
Um, no, I've heard that in in English stuff too. I think it's just one of those things that America is just has to be different. Like and so. Oh, so the rucksack the rucksack is the metric system version of a backpack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really about to. Okay, no, I'm not going to look it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a nice way to slow down this podcast as we read like the Wikipedia yeah. entry. <laughs> oh, um. So she, you know, is talking about how Megan's not a real person and how these are all like parts of a story. And it's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is what we've been doing the entire book. Yeah, really. We're wrapping up towards the end of the series. We really got to drive home this theme if you didn't pick it up by now. But it's also not that cheesy. Like, I, I really I really this. I liked the idea that like Megan was having turned back around on her like the sort of stuff that she was doing to people at this age this was where I started obviously grasping that she was supposed to be older because she settled down and because this girl was clearly presented to be like younger and that was the title so like I really liked like sort of seeing her get a taste of her own medicine like not that she needed it at this point because she had already like figured her stuff out after her mom died but I thought this was really interesting and I, I really liked like the point they were making here so especially that she's like really kind to her like the Nancy when she realizes Megan shows up like goes to hide in the bathroom and Megan's like it's okay like you can come out and like I'm not mad like keep the stuff you know because Nancy is like I'm sorry I was just like freaking out because my professor was on my ass and I didn't have like a project so I just like threw some shit together and Megan like really understands and is sort of like really nice to her about it and I thought that was really sweet and it brings the whole thing it brings the issue that uh stood out to you Megan full circle because when she first runs away she says like oh my mom let me figure it out am I any closer and then when uh, Nancy is like well like tell me what are the stories or whatever and she's like I'll, I'd tell you about it but some things you need to just figure out for yourself so it's like you know Nancy is the version of her that's trying to get any closer yeah and I liked that it was sort of like she figured out her own shit like after her mom passed away and now like this is like where someone else like has to start doing that for yourself like you need to sort of like take responsibility and like maybe not like steal other people's stuff for your art next time and like figure out like because she the girl says specifically that she's um you know how am I supposed to think or speak or make, make art or start a career I haven't done anything yet and she's very much in that same space that Megan was when she was running off after like the prescription pad thing so I mm-hmm. like that you know this is sort of like passing the torch it's like okay like I've figured out my shit like now it's time for the younger generation to like start doing the same so yeah I also like the nod of who's the guy in the Polaroids it's pretty cute and it's like no he's a creep yeah no <laughs> 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 Sorry, Ryan. Um, <laughs> it's my best friend. <laughs> um, and we have finally hit the last one, which is the house that Megan built. This is the longest one. It ran the full 32 pages. Um, and it takes place in Vermont. And there's not a lot of dialogue in the beginning, which is not talked about. And you're right. Nikki does show up. He's not a hallucination. No, Wait. he is a hallucination. No, I think he's definitely a hallucination. Because his last word bubble doesn't have an arrow on it. It's just, like, echoing in her thoughts. <laughs> oh, you're right. And it's only one in one set of footprints, but it's... Oh, there's only one f- set of footprints in the sand! Jesus was carrying you! <laughs> so she ends up going back to Vermont and signing the papers and taking back over her family house that has been standing empty since her mother died. Um, yeah. And apparently teens have been using it as a party house. 
So I can see where it's like, was this Nikki? And I totally thought it was, but... So did I. No, yeah. and I think now that, like, it's clearer to me that there was a passage of time, like, this would be probably, like, seven or eight years after he got beat up, which she right. wasn't there for and she can have no idea happened, but she's still picturing him with, like, his nose broken. And, and so, young, so yeah. he might be dead. So, I think, um, and then, like, it fits in with her later nightmares where she has dreams about, like, the two guys in the um, the diner and, like, her brother and everything. So, I think it definitely fits with her, like, having this, like, a lot of guilt that she tried to bury about, like, the people she pushed away and the things that she's been through. So, I think, like, this is her, like, trying to face... Um, some of the guilt she feels at least about like abandoning Nikki yeah. because like he she's right. thinking that he's like because like teenagers have been partying in this um this childhood house that she's gone back to and I think that like when she sees the teenagers have been partying she just automatically thinks of her cousin because she knows that like that's what he was going through so yeah. like I think it's sort of easy for her to like say like oh like teenagers have been partying here and that like makes her think of her cousin and sort of you know the yeah. guilt that she feels for pushing him away it's tough right. to know if like he died or if like he just stopped replying to her because like she was never there for him you know, i can like... see it being the latter because you're right at no point it doesn't ever say that he actually died and i feel like it is something that would have been said yeah, yeah. so um... the big the big reveal here is he's like oh let me make you keys to the house and she pulls out her key necklace and she says oh i have a copy already and that's the part where every time I read it, I flip back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she did have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, she finds out teens are partying. And then the first thing she does is changes her look. Look how adult we are. <laughs> We're not just going to let teens come in. Which is a nice yeah. contrast yeah. to not changing the lock when the Polaroid boyfriend kept using the key to get yeah. into the house. So, <laughs> You know, she did change the lock, actually. No, well, uh, but, I'm saying, but, it, but, but at first still. she didn't want to. She only did it after it became, like, creepy. So right. I don't know why you guys are always attacking Mr. Polaroid. <laughs> <laughs> look, I just don't like guys that climb into teenagers' bedrooms. It's weird. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art oh thou, my Romeo? God. You really need to finish that book, Ryan. <laughs> oh, crap. You're right. You're right. I, I, I just, I love that Ryan is being, like, not all men about, like, the Polaroid guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want your audience to know that I am being satirical. No, I know. I know. Oh, yeah, I know. No, entirely. Um, so she doesn't get service. And I like, it's supposed to be 2006. There was an iPhone. So yeah, this whole like old Motorola looking kind of phone is perfect. Yeah, I didn't get a smartphone until like 2012. I didn't get a smartphone yeah. until like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so my family loves Apple. I got an iPhone pretty early, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't get a first in... generation. I think I got a second generation. So let's see, you live in Brooklyn. <laughs> you liked things before they were cool. <laughs> So back in 2006, for those that don't necessarily remember 2006, um, not everywhere had service like it does now, kind of. I don't know. I but... still am in places that don't have service sometimes. Yeah, so especially if Long you... Island. I don't know what you're talking about. If you live <laughs> really far out, you sometimes need... Um, like when Ryan and I were in New Paltz, I had a professor that um, lived like in the mountains and he had to have this thing called like an air card which like gives you internet when like you live in a place that like cannot get internet so like i can see that if she's living in kind of like a really like rural area that's like kind of set back from everything like yeah you yeah, definitely true. wouldn't have service 
I guess when I went to Yellowstone, we didn't have service for a week. Now that I remember. They have to be in that weird, that like very specific part that has, it's busy enough that there's enough teens to trash a house, but not so busy that they build a cell tower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. Why would you party at a place where, I guess it's easier to not call the cops, but also like. A big abandoned house in the yeah. country, like a big mansion, yeah. sounds like an yeah. awesome place to party. As long as That's you're not true. in, like, every slasher movie ever. <laughs> um, so she gets waken up, and it is implied that her brother is there, and that he's helping her fix stuff, and um, his wife left him, and that he never beat her, and then it shows him shot in the head, so yay, nightmares. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a hallucination that it's kept vague on like is this something that happened during the time jump or is this what she's imagining happened? Yeah, especially yeah, because I'm not sure. especially because he is shown in his issue trying to get in touch with her like a lot of times, yeah. but all those numbers are out of service. And finally, um, before he tries to drive drunk, he throws the cell phone away into like the street, basically, and he says, like, fuck you about, like, Megan. So, like, yeah. obviously their relationship is, like, either wasn't going to get fixed. Like, if their mom dying didn't do it, I don't know if, like, it's necessarily like salvageable at that point. So I think, like, she definitely... Well, oh, wait, no. She runs up a hill to get service. Yeah. She runs up the hill until she gets service. I mean, like, I can see it. You see two brothers fighting and killing one kills the other. Maybe it doesn't fix your relationship, but I could see her... I could see this being a recurring nightmare where she keeps dreaming that her brother has killed himself and, like, perhaps she frequently calls him in the middle of the night to be like, are you okay? Yeah, and, like, because it's sort of, like, unclear if it's, like, a hallucination or a dream, like, I guess it makes sense that she would, like, actually have called her brother, but I guess, like, you could also say, like, well, if she's dreaming, like, maybe she didn't and she just, like, wishes that she had. So I think it's maybe, like, a little bit ambiguous. I take it as a hallucination because it ends when she decides it ends and she's, like, not in bed or anything. Yeah. Like, she's at her kitchen table. She runs up a hill and it's and, implied and it's, that, like, called... she doesn't tell him she's crying. Yeah, and she's calling yeah. her brother. So, like, yeah. I don't I don't know if I necessarily, like, believe that that happened, but... Yeah. I like when things are ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm on board with, like, you know, not not knowing if it's a literal her reconciling or like she's ready to address the fact that she can't yeah see i took it more as that they probably reconciled at some point yeah. but they don't necessarily keep in touch yeah that, and i or can like, see that okay you know I I, can see that. that's an adult siblings thing i can see that, that happening yeah so yeah and um, and i like so... that like we don't really even need her to have reconciled because it's implied that like even if she doesn't have that connection like she's still okay like yeah, yeah, she's on yeah. like she's on her own. She's obviously having hallucinations. There's stuff that she hasn't dealt with, but like she is happy with her life. Like she's not really, you know, like you don't really get the sense that like she needs that connection to be all right. So yeah, which leads um, into the next scene where she's hallucinating all of the boys from the all the boyfriends, all the boyfriends, and they're basically all like, "Why did you just leave?" And she doesn't respond because they are gone before she can think of an answer. Yeah, and one of them actually gets a name. Yeah, Len is the cook. 
Yes, which I guess kind of implies it might be the only one she actually ever really truly loved. I think this might have been him with her when her mom died. His hair was longer is the thing. It's a different hair, yeah. But like... But the other guy doesn't show up. Yeah, that's that's why I think it's him because there is no, like... There is no other guy. Yeah. And like she There's also a time period in the early two thousands where every guy wore their hair a little bit longer and shaggier, and it's really <laughs> fun to watch Harry Potter and see that happen. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think like it, it it makes sense that he would be that guy because like it doesn't really mean it like have to mean anything to say I love you, but like the fact that she did go to him and say I love you, like I like to think that, that meant like their relationship actually like lasted past a certain point for a little while. And she also doesn't have any other relationships after him. Yeah, so I think, yeah, like, maybe he's not, like, the one that got away, but he was, like, someone that actually, like, meant something to her when she had trouble, you know, getting that off the ground. Definitely. But she still left him. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what she did, so. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll be back tomorrow. Like, that is, to be haunted by your exes, I don't know. That's just... That's what happens to that's what happens to Scrooge, right? <laughs> was it his partner, his ex? Sure. Yeah, that's what Marley? happened to Matthew McConaughey in that terrible movie, Ghost of Girlfriend's <laughs> Past. <laughs> um But yeah, she's shown getting the house kinda together and her life together and her mom shows up and I guess the final not I don't know if it's guilt or just like the final thing she never got to confront and she asks her mom all these questions that she knows that she can't answer because she knows it's an hallucination, but it's like, these are the things that I need to know. Yeah, and and this conversation is one of my favorite lines where she's like, the mom is like, oh, you're finally settling down back home. And she's like, yeah, are you disappointed? And she's like, no, not at all. It's not that I didn't want you to settle down. It's I wanted you to have the option. Mm -hmm. And I love that a lot. Yeah. Because that's like, we... I don't think we talked about it, but I, this is a conversation that I have a lot in the realm of like modern feminism is like, if you're like a housewife or like, you know, a homekeeper or like, if you fall into traditional gender roles, that doesn't make you any less of a feminist. Yeah. It's as long, it's as long as you have the choice and you are choosing to do that, that's fine. If it's like against your will, obviously that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Like, and, like, judge, you know, people that fall into, like, standard gender roles, even though, like, that's, you know, if it's a choice, like you guys said, and you're not coerced into it, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I have a friend that did that. She, when she had her first kid, she called me and she's like, I'm not coming back to work. And she still hasn't. The kid's four, I think four now. And um, she's happy as can be. It's exactly what she wanted to do with her life. And as long as she's happy, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because it's another thing that's sort of ambiguous because it's it is Megan, you know, imagining this conversation with her mom and it's, you know, so like she could well be believing something of her mother that she wants to believe and isn't necessarily true and that's something yeah. that she's struggling with but like it still gives her a lot of peace to like think of her mom that way and think like maybe this is what she wanted for me and I, I think I really like that. She may also be asking herself yeah. as much as she yeah. can, am I okay with finally settling down? Well, because then she asks, like you were saying, Megan, all those questions, like, why were people so horrible to me? Why couldn't I stay with anybody? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then she's just like, she says like, then it hits you. This is your home. This is what home feels like. It's that like feeling. And she's like, but I know you aren't really here, mom. So you won't be able to answer any of this. Right. And then it's a double page spread. The only double page spread in the whole book where she's sitting across from an empty chair. And so like, she is asking herself these questions for sure. Right. Yeah. Being an adult means you don't always get the answers. Yeah. And I, I I really like a lot of what they did in this issue, like the um like that double page spread and then the, the other full page panel I thought was really effective is when um the locksmith has changed the locks and he, he's like asking her a question and then she says like no it's fine but you see her standing there looking at the necklace and she's like, I've just had this key for like a really long time mm-hmm. and you see yeah. that it's like really hitting her that, you know, she is like moving and you know changing the locks of like her childhood home and it's like really affecting her and i thought a lot of the the stuff in this issue was really poignant that way yeah absolutely and she does kind of accept that like i have to be okay with just me answering these questions yeah like and she she says um you know how i answered my own questions it took me a long time to realize that and in time i was truly happy with myself which is like i think if she reaches that point then like that's why, like, I definitely feel better about what I was saying before, like, obviously she wasn't okay when she was hallucinating, but, like, she gets to that point because she's able to have that, like, acceptance of herself and the way the life is, that her life has gone. So you see that by the end she really is, like, comfortable and happy. So. Yep. And she's still reading Wives and Daughters. Apparently this is the longest book oh, ever. Oh, it's, lo- it it's long. If I, had, if I had my copy upstairs, you could see the paperback. It's a thick book. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I don't know, is is she continuing to read it, or is it the first time that she is reading it? I think it... Oh. I don't know, because, like, I think, you know, it was already... It's been a couple years past the funeral, but I could also see it being, like, maybe she started it, and because it's about, like, you know, a widowed father, like, you know, it be- kind of becomes, like, this is too much for me right now, and, like, she yeah. visits it when she's finally, like, okay with that again. Like, I could see that happening. See, you went a lot deeper. I just went, it's a commitment. No, yeah, and I think that, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, and I, I think it, you know, it was obviously just like the easiest way to bring the symbolism back. But I think there's, you know, a lot of ways you can view it. And that is the end of the, the comic. Yes, it is. And I'm not crying. I was really worried <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to get through this without crying. No, I, um, I, I didn't, I actually didn't cry at any of this. I, I was, I was happy with where it ended up, but, you know, it didn't really, like, super hit me, but I, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. I don't know, I think the, the turning 30 is making me too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> this book really hits 19-year-old boys and 30-year-old women. <laughs> it's that sweet cross-section demographic. Well, I mean, but think about it, like, 19... I probably would have been just as emotional at 25. Like there are, I don't know when the last big shift is, but like they become less and less. Like you change so much up until the age of like mid twenties. And then everybody as a kid views 30 as like so old. So when you finally hit that, it's like so old. And then I don't know, what is the next big one? 40? Or is it, you know, can you really theoretically say 50? So I can understand, like, if you read this, especially at a time of your life where, like, something's changing, Yeah. then, yeah, it's going to resonate. I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. 
you're you like I'm like halfway through the book and you're going so if you don't like it we can switch and I'm like Ryan I, okay. well you know I just I gotta I don't know I don't have a response to that other than like I just assume everybody hates everything I like all the time I have that I live under that assumption too and the only book I've picked for the podcast one person didn't like so see <laughs> Um, speaking of, what are you guys going to be reading next? Oh, wait, first, book drink. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I actually did think about this for a while, and I don't drink, so, like, I couldn't think of, like, a fun alcoholic one, but what I, what I thought of while I was reading this is, like, when you stop, like, when you're on a road trip and you stop at, like, a diner in the middle of nowhere and get a hot chocolate... <laughs> Okay. And it's just, like, this, like, little bit of comfort in this totally foreign place. So, that's a very specific drink that you have to travel very far to get. <laughs> no, everybody's got their road trip thing that they do every time, and I like that. There's also a brief, yeah, like, brief reference to a roommate's pomegranate juice that she drank to be a jerk. So, that's <laughs> true. That and then she kept refilling the water. Uh, that's very true, that's very true. Um, so, what are you guys reading next? So, I'm about to start Toni Morrison's Beloved, but I oh. hear it's very, very heavy. It is? So, I am going to wait a little bit for that. Yeah, we, I, but, we're both going to do that one together, but that, oh, that's yeah. Gonna, yeah. Um, have fun. <laughs> yeah, so, right now, I am currently reading some Black Panther comics to get ready for the movie, and I'm reading some stuff from the late 70s where he fights the KKK, and it's pretty legit nice. so far. And, like, he went on a whole speech about how, like, the KKK uses subtle techniques to, like, convince the white moderates to become white supremacists. And I'm like, hey, 1976, <laughs> good good on you. It's only 40 years ago. Yeah. It can still be applicable, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot. <laughs> now I'm crying. <laughs> What about you, Tracy? Um, so, I was reading um, S.J. Watson's Before I Go to Sleep because I got the movie at the dollar store the other day, and I'm about a quarter of the way through and kept thinking, what is Colin Firth doing to this poor woman? And then I <laughs> then I started watching Star Trek, the original series, and I've been, been binge-watching that because apparently, I I said like multiple times over the past like five years, I'm like, I'm never going to watch the original series, and like now like my past self is looking back at me like you don't have to do this i'm like no i'm gonna like you know you can't stop me <laughs> so that took over my life in a way i didn't expect it to so nice <laughs> my soon-to-be father-in-law really really wants like me and uh my fiance to like sit down and watch the whole original series of star trek and i'm like into it but that's a commitment <laughs> that's like a wives and daughters level commitment but it's i'm only, not ready to it's get only into. like three seasons like it's it's like shorter than you would think it is like i'm already uh, halfway and... through the first season so yeah but like also like with your in-laws yeah that's, oh that's it's like lot. with your in-laws that, that's probably that's, i mean <laughs> that's it's pressure nothing against them yeah. it's, it's nothing against them but like i got to be on top behavior and i can't i have a very short story <laughs> I know this podcast is really long, but it's one time I was with the in-laws and their entire extended family, and I accidentally made a joke about butt plugs, so <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, high stakes. <laughs> what about you, Megan? What are you reading? Um, Actually, I go into the readathon tomorrow. Um, I'm currently reading the first 
volume of Bitch Planet because it is awesome. Oh, I've had, I've uh, it's had been that on I'm... my comicsology for a year. Yeah, I'm gonna say I was gonna say I've had the trade for like ever, and I feel really bad that I haven't gotten to it yet. I, I like it that. a lot. Yeah, um, but I have eight books that I want to try to get through this weekend. I think it's four. Yeah, it's four comics, three books, and a novella that I want to try to get through. Um, I did Good six luck. last readathon, so. That's the goal. Um, so for the next podcast, uh, Stephanie will be joining me officially, Stephanie Cortez. Um, we are going to start uh, a different kind of brand where we are going to be helping people read through their backlog, um, not their backlog, through those books that you've bought that sit on your shelf that you go, oh, yes, it's New Year's resolution. I'm not buying any books. I'm reading the ones I own. <laughs> Because we were both going through those lists. And... That, I love that so much. I know. I, I, could, would, uh, I will definitely come on if you guys want yes, me to again. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, you are both welcome to come back. I have um, dozens and dozens. <laughs> yeah, dozens. <laughs> I don't think you understand that my my uh, to-read list is over 600 books. <laughs> that sounds like, about you're, right. You're friends with me on Goodreads. You've seen mine. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so we are reading The Power by Naomi Alderman, uh, which is on Stephanie's uh, list. And it actually came out last year. It is a dystopian book. And that's about all I know about it, other than like, it is quite beloved. So like everybody that like I- By Tony heard... Morrison? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even trying to make a pun there, but yes. <laughs> um but it's basically a dystopian where I think women are in charge. So, okay. um, so, but I'm really excited. Stephanie was on a couple episodes last year and she is officially joining me um, going forward. So uh, yeah, join us next week for that. Um, plugs. Where do you guys, <laughs> sorry, I just thought about plugs. Yeah, I was going to say after that joke, that's all I <laughs> Fuck you, Ryan. Um... Well, what can I say? <laughs> so I guess I'll go first yes. and plug away. Uh, so like last time I have three podcasts. So at Divisive Issues, we just did a bunch of weird, futuristic, crazy stories that were really fun, but we're about to celebrate our second anniversary by reading Mark Millar's Ultimates, which is the book when Captain America yells at a man while he beats him. Uh, do you know what this A on my head stands for? It doesn't stand for France. (laughs) So that'll be fun. Uh, so that'll be great. And at Oops, I Talk Politics, we just did a very... Wait, no, it won't be out yet. We're about to do... Yeah, it will be coming out. We just did a episode that was a long time coming where we kind of critique some of the more problematic elements of Obama's presidency and some of the things that we thought were unfair criticisms and some of the things that we think were very fair criticisms or criticisms that didn't get enough attention. And you get to hear my co-host Sly's entire layout of why he feels the way he does about neoliberalism and economic policies on the left. And it is maybe the most researched episode we've ever had. And you also get to hear me yell a whole lot about healthcare, like I do in every episode. And, uh, yeah, so you can check out both of those shows at franzradio.com. And then my last podcast is We'll Get It Right Next Year, colon, An Adventure in Cinema, where Michael M. Rader and I guessed the plot of We Bought a Zoo for an entire year, and we're almost done. That one's funny. It's improv comedy. And we're almost done, so we're going to be watching it at either the end of March or the beginning of April, so everybody should get caught up now, because it is one hell of a roller coaster. 
There you go. Uh, Tracy, what about you? Is there anywhere where you want people to find you? Okay, so um, same as last time, I've done um, guest episodes. I did a guest episode for um, Ryan's show, Divisive Issues, about being a new comic book fan. Um, I did a Falling in Love montage episode on Emma, and I appeared briefly on the Clueless one. Um, I also have a Goodreads and a review blog that Meg and I will give you the link to this time. I said I would last time, then I never did. I found so, it. It's, yeah, it's, it's in the show notes. Okay. And then, good. Yeah, so you guys can definitely you find me there <laughs> very cool uh as for me you can find me i have two other podcasts fabulous retellings is in the middle of 12 dancing princesses um speakeasy is the next one we read the novella speakeasy which is Dan- 12 dancing princesses in a hotel in new york in the 1920s uh and then my other one is handbook for handbook for mortals um we just did the chapter called high priestess um in which the main character Um, gets clipped by a cyclist and decides to use her magic to throw him to the ground and um, break his bike and also is dating someone who completely is prejudiced against her Jewish background and her gypsy background there's a long debate about it which how she's using that word so (laughs) we had the same debate on divisive issues about how we could use the word gypsy. Not how, like, not like how can we, yeah. but like, is, you know, like, in what context yeah. is it extra problematic? Like, is it, if it's a fictional universe like Marvel in a dystopian <laughs> future and they call them gypsies, like, is that okay? I don't know. So, uh, as for this podcast, we're at judgingbookcovers.com. We're on all social media at JBC Podcast. There's also a Facebook group, um, a handbook for judging fabulous retellings covers. <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, so come join us there. It's a private group or closed group. So uh, anything you say is not going to show up all over your Facebook page. But it can uh, be used against you in a court of law. <laughs> probably. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks with me and Stephanie. Thank you both again. Thank you so <clears> much. It's so great. It's, Thank you for having us on. It's been a blast. Um, and I'm going to stop recording. Now. <laughs>